0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Man, who knew that the Memory Verse song slaps like that? I didn't know. I was like, man, that was legit. I also don't know how to follow that. Like that level of cuteness and exegetical precision. What am I supposed to... What am I supposed to do after that? Hey, I'm so glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 126. The theme for the morning is joy. Uh, and so we're just going to walk through uh, that psalm. I think what you see in that psalm uh, is the opportunity you and I have as Christians for ever-increasing joy. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is cheap and fleeting and fragile. and can be snatched from you in a second, but joy isn't like that. Joy is thicker. It's got density. It can stand up under uh, the hurt and disappointment of the world. And so we're going to dive into that. But before we dive into that, uh, I want to honor my friends, the Campbell family, who are right back from Albania. Uh, And so why don't you guys stand up for me? I know, Ben, it's your 15th birthday. uh, So if anybody wants to hand him cash, he'll take it from you. Um, And so here's what you may or may not know the Campbells. Um, uh, They have been at the church Man, just about as long as I have, um, and, and they have been all over the world, served in Berlin for quite some time. In fact, many of us got to go over and serve alongside of them in Berlin, uh, and almost everywhere they've gone, they've worked with Muslim refugees that have kind of flooded out of those countries all over the world, and they have seen a profound amount of miraculous fruitfulness in their ministry, and so really all over the world, uh, there are men and women who are far from Jesus, uh, who now know him and love him and now are carrying on that work in their own uh, countries. And uh, you, you said yes to Jesus, and I'm bragging on him more than I'm bragging on you, uh, and that's the only way you would like it. And so I just wanted to honor them, and, and then I want to pray a blessing over them, uh, and then we're going to dive into this psalm. And so why don't you pray with me, not just listen to me pray. That, those are, they're slight difference. So, uh, Father, I thank you for the Campbells. Uh, I thank you for just their yes. I thank you that while they were here, they were disciple makers. And while they were in Berlin, they were disciple makers. And while they were in Albania, they were disciple makers. Wherever they go, uh, they they just said yes to you. And I thank you that right now, and not always because of them. I know right now because of dreams and miraculous healings and all sorts of things that we feel like don't happen anymore. um, There are men and women who know you and love you and are following you in some of the hardest places in the world. Uh, because of the yes of this family. And so I bless them in the name of Jesus. pray clarity for the future. Uh, And I ask in all things that they'd get a sense of your presence and power in their lives. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. you guys have a seat. Thank you. Love you guys. Um, Gosh, I I think it was about 15 years ago uh, I was overseas. I had the opportunity to teach um, uh, among some underground cool stuff in uh, a foreign country. And um, I, 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 it was real Jason Bournezy. That, that's why I loved it. I got woken up at around midnight. I got to get in a van and hide and drive through checkpoints and then kind of head out into this farm. Uh, and, and then I was going to train house church pastors. And so I'm uh, dying for some sleep. And I, I, if you don't know me, man, I'm like, a, I, I want to be in like my third round of REM by 10 p.m. Uh, or I'm getting frustrated. And so I am not a night owl. I'll see you at 5 a.m. anytime you want. I'll even go 4.30 but leave me alone at night. And so I'm jet-lagged out of my mind. I know that teaching through an interpreter in a different culture is difficult for my style of preaching because none of my illustrations work. None of the illustrations I use with you are going to work in this place I'm from. They wouldn't even know what I was talking about. So it's just... Eight-hour content dump with not a lot of illustrations. That, that's a long day. Uh, and so I, I end up at this farm at around midnight. Uh, they made a little bed for me, and I, and I climb into this bed, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to multiply my sleep. I can do the math. I know I'm not getting my very much wanted, needed, desired eight-and-a-half hours of sleep. I know I'm going to get about four. Uh, and so I'm just saying, Lord, take this four hours and make it 16 I'm a man of faith, I'm a man of faith. I'm believing for it. And, and I just about, you know that spot where you're just about to go to sleep? I mean, I'm just there, I can feel my body melting. And I hear somebody start singing in the room next to me. Like, not singing well. I don't know what they're singing. I don't know, that if they're just singing. And then, oh, my gosh, there's someone else. And now, like, there's this building sound of singing. And then it stops. And so I think the Lord's heard my prayers. And so I thank the Lord for silencing whatever that was. And then I hear laughter and crying and then singing again. Uh, And this kind of builds and builds and builds um, until I just go, you know what? I'm just getting up. And so I get up and I walk into this room next to mine. And by this time it's kind of full of, I think when all said and done about 80 men and women that pastor in this country, um, really underground and hiding from um, the government. And then uh, I, I taught all day. And then we, we took this break at lunch and um, we laughed and, and, and I got to learn some stories through my interpreter and then um, I taught some more. And then that night we sat around a fire and uh, I'm asking questions. I don't know if I'm a bit of an extrovert, so I'm asking questions, getting curious. And um, I think my interpreter was exhausted. He's like, please stop. But I, I just needed to know. Uh, and then the, they wanted to play a game. So the game they played was they would ask me to say a word in their language, I would butcher it, and they would all die laughing. And so then I just got involved in the act because I knew there wasn't a chance in heaven they could say the word, you're welcome. And so I just said, say you're welcome. And then I died laughing at them. And and then as I learned their stories, like I learned that you and I have a tendency to over-romanticize and over-spiritualize men and women like them who have just said yes to Jesus and are doing the faithful work of sharing the gospel in a dangerous place. Uh, I met a man who hadn't seen his family in a year, heartbroken because he hadn't seen his family in a year, and... Couldn't go see them because the government was actively watching them in order to get to him. And then I met a woman who had been severely traumatized in prison uh, and got out only to go back and continue to share the gospel like she was beforehand. But it, but it, wasn't, like, it, it wasn't like she was just like, this is great. It, it was traumatic and awful and she had night terrors. And, it was, and, and I started to learn like they, they're, they're just like us. They make jokes, they want peace, they, um, they would love a life of comfort, and yet there, there was this thing in their spirits that God had put there that they had no choice except to, to live into all that God had for them in Christ. Now, I came home from that trip and I introduced this language to us, and I've said it a gajillion times since. I've already said it in the sermon once. It's the theme of the message, and that's that there's something different. There's a difference between joy and happiness, that that happiness is fragile. Like, I, I heard their stories. I walked with them for three days. Not a lot of reason to be happy as Westerners would define it. Difficult life, a life underground, a life on the run, a life of monstrous fruitfulness in the kingdom, but one where all of our metrics of what you need to be happy would melt in the face of their life. And, and, and yet, a joy that escapes most of us. And so since I've come back, I've just tried to make war on this. I want you to pursue a life of joy, a, a life of gratitude and gladness that can hold up under the fallenness of the world. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And this psalm gives us the way forward and ties it all to the coming of Jesus. And so let me outline the psalm for you. Uh, And this is how you grow in joy. Number one, the first three verses are going to be about remembrance, remembering God's work and God's movements in your life. The second, like verse four talks about bringing our wants and desires as they are before the living God. Not over spiritualizing them, not treating them up, but coming as we are with our wants and desires. And then when we remember and we walk in intimacy with God by letting our hearts be seen, even if they're selfish, selfish and twisted and not mature yet, pulls us forward into future hope. So there's the outline of Psalm 126. Remembrance and coming to God honestly with wants and desires creates a perspective that pulls us in the difficulty of present circumstance into future hope with gratitude and gladness. And so there's the whole sermon. Now let me spend the next 30 minutes preaching it. We good? All right, let's look at this together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now, I want to just stop there. I know it's going to make it a little bit longer than I said. But it's the nations that looked at the people of God and said, look at what he's done for them. It wasn't just the people of God testifying to what God had done. It's that the fruit of their lives had marked them so that the nations, so you need to hear those who are God-unbelievers or God-haters would look and go, gosh, he's good to them. God, whoever they serve, loves them. Man, their God cares for them, serves them, loves them, moves towards them. The nations, the unbelievers said this when they looked into the joy of the people of God. And then they agree with the nations. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears. Shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Anybody, an old head in here, remember that song, Bringing in the Sheaves? Where my hymn is at, right? Bring it in the sheaves. That's where we get that. It's not just some random old hymn. It's like from this text, this idea that you sow and then you harvest and you bring in the harvest with a shout of joy. They, they There's an old hymn, bring it in the sheaves. I, maybe I'll have that team that did that write a beat to that and we'll try to roll it back out. So let, let, let's talk about how do we grow in ever increasing joy? Well, verses one through three are going to make this argument. First step of ever-increasing joy is the act or rhythm of remembrance. The enemy wants us to forget, but the Bible is serious about remembrance. In fact, at every turn, almost every time God acts in power, he creates a rhythm by which his people will not forget it, and he commands them to practice that rhythm. We can go back to the Exodus, and God sets up a Passover meal. And they're going to do Passover once a year. And they're going to eat bitter herbs to remember how difficult slavery was. But they're also going to eat lamb. And they're going to drink wine. And they're going to remember their salvation. And God goes, you're going to do this every year. And then after the giving of the law, he sets up festivals and feasts. And he actually threatens them. Like, you, you show up late to my party, I'll kill you. You, you better show up. You better not work. So as to think you forgot about what I bring to the table. Like that's what's funny about kind of the reputation Christians have. as kind of ho-hum people. Like in the Old Testament, God's like, you show up to my festival on time and you go hard or I'll kill everybody. You're going to party and rejoice and be glad and be mesmerized by how good I am to you. This is the book. I ain't making this up. Remembrance. Don't forget. And what the enemy wants you to do over and over again is just forget. Forget that he's been good. Forget that you were saved. Forget that moment when, when he, he bailed you out or that thing that he saw you through. See, rhythms of remembrance are step one in ever-increasing joy. And, and so here, here's my gift to you. This is my first Christmas gift. I've got a couple today. My first is I'm going to give you a little bit of time to remember. Now, like, I know, I know the pace out there. I try to drive around. It's wild. Christmas is about to be on us. so I'm just going to give you some space to remember and, and so some of the primary ways that, that I think you can remember is if you have a prayer journal, to go back and read through that prayer journal and just be blown away by how often he's answered. Whether it was yes or no, he just answered you, right? But then I've, I've been surprised, like, not a lot of people do that anymore. So here, here's another great idea. Do you have one of these? Anybody got one of those? Like, I know the answer unless you're, like, a second grader in here. And then if you have one, you shouldn't. <laughs> but that's between you and your folks, right? But um, now, now here's what I mean when I... Oh, hey, Summer. Texting me back. You're so kind. Um, that, that what everyone has on their phone is pictures. Like, and every picture tells a story of either a relationship or a period of time in your life. And, and what you can do to cultivate a heart of remembrance, if you don't have a prayer journal, is just give a little bit of time to scrolling through those pictures And tying that to God's faithfulness. Remembering how far you've come. One one of the primary ways, if 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 I want to really remember, is I just try to imagine what my life would look like if Jesus hadn't rescued me and saved me. I don't know what your background is. Mine's pretty nasty. Like there is every reason in the universe for my family of origin to hate each other, to avoid each other, to never speak to each other again. But Christ has reconciled, redeemed, help and forgiven, helped forgiveness take root. I don't want to forget that. Like any time around, I just want to remember, oh my gosh, where would I be? I could tell you this, I'd probably be on my third wife. I probably would. I'd probably be chasing coin and miserable. Probably would have gotten a fight physical fight with someone in the last 24 months. I mean, this is just all the trends of my bloodline, all the trends of my own life before Jesus says, ah, I'm gonna go ahead and transfer you out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of my beloved son. I'm gonna, instead of this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a whole new line for you and I'm gonna let all that stuff go on the ground with you. I'm gonna let your son struggle with new things. They won't struggle with the things that you did and your dad did and your grandfather did and you did. And then... Even, even on that, then he started saving back that way. Then, then my mom and dad had powerful encounters with Jesus. And my sister, come in, and now we can get together and we can just marvel. And I'm not trying to get you to clap for me. I'm trying to think for you. Like, where would you be had he not saved you? Like, you know what that does to you if you'll just do some remembrance? Like, you were lost, but you were found. You were dead, and now you're alive. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just give you like three minutes, but I'm just going to throw some questions up that will help cultivate some remembrance today. Number one, try and imagine what life would look like if Jesus hadn't saved you. In what ways has God used your experiences, both good and bad, to grow your faith and reveal Himself to you? Consider where you were in your relationship with God at that time. So, if you're looking, you're scrolling through your phone and and you see like some old picture of you, and you're just like, "Oh, you poor soul." Hey, do you know what I? My um, my bookmark when I'm reading, is six-month-old little Matt. I mean, I talk to that little guy all the time. Like, I finished reading, I'm like, brother, we got, we got to run. It's going to be awesome. Throw him back in. I just want to, like, connect with little Matt in there. I got to get, I get little Matt needs to rage out a little bit. He needs to read some. He needs to, and so, man, I, I, I use that just as a reminder. Oh, my gosh, look at, look at where we are. Little Matt, look where we, look, look at what God's done. Hadn't he been faithful? Isn't he amazing? So, and then I want to look at the little high school mat and go, God, I could just see the anger on his face. Thank you, Lord. I'm not like that. Thank you. You moved. And I? I just want to remember, like, like, where, think back on it. Where has he brought you? How far have you come? What's your relationship like now as opposed to what it was like then? And then in regards to other people, because sometimes you got that picture in your phone that bring up some person that you just like would rather the Lord not bless. I mean, I'm just talking about me, not you. You guys are amazing. So, how about this one? Recall how God kept you in the highs and lows of your relationships with people. Thank him for how your relationships with people have taught you to pursue greater intimacy with him. Yeah. Let me give you just 3 minutes here. You can stare at me awkwardly, you can just look at these, you can bow your heads, you can do whatever you want. Just a few minutes to remember. Where would you be? How far have you come? Father, we thank you. You are good. Help us to remember. Do you even maybe as we finish out today that you would stir up remembrance, that you would pull into the front of our minds places that we've forgotten that you saw us through. Or maybe seasons where our marriage was super difficult, but we're on the other side, or seasons where we thought we would never recover and we're starting to. Seasons where we thought our life was ending and then you came through. Seasons where we felt so alone and then you, you broke through on and on. I could go help us remember your faithfulness. And it's for your beautiful name I pray, amen. Now, if remembrance is step one to ever increasing joy, I think we see in step or step two uh, something that could be somewhat controversial, and I want to try to um, remove the weight of it. And so let's look at verse four with one another. Verse four says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, let me explain the context of Psalm 126. Um, in the Old Testament, God enters into a covenant with his people. He makes a nation. In fact, what you see in Exodus is the only time in world history a nation came out of a nation and was established on its own. And God enters this covenant. He gives them laws. He gives them boundaries. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. You will worship me and me alone. And it actually takes on the look and feel of a wedding ceremony as they enter into this covenant with one another. And then what happens really for the rest of the Old Testament is the people of God prove themselves to be adulterers. Um, they they according to the scriptures, um, earmuffs if you're a little kid, whore after other gods. That that's the way the text would say it. And, and so in their whoring against other gods, they're sent into exile, and they live in exile yet again, and then they have been freed from exile and brought back into the land of promise. And so the first part of this text, what they were remembering is the covenant-keeping power of God, that God did not leave them in exile, but kept his word and did not forget them and brought them back into the land of promise. But as they step back into the land of promise, it's not what it once was. Things had been burned to the ground. Things had been destroyed. The former glory of the temple no longer there. This grieves their hearts, and they make this request Restore our fortunes, O Lord. And then they make this reference to the desert outside of Jerusalem that every once in a while would get this massive downpour of water that would cut like, cut like little stream paths through the desert and then it would dry all out and get cracked. And, and, and so they're like, hey, like that, do that. We're dry, we're cracked, we're tired. Pour out on us, restore to us fortune, O Lord. If step, step number one in ever-increasing joy is remembrance, Step number two is bringing our desires and wants into the presence of Jesus and making them known. Okay, now let me tell you why that can be a little controversial. It can be a little controversial because people like to over-spiritualize things and they like to try to clean themselves up before they come as they are. But that's not what Christ has asked for. Christ has asked for, here, look at me. You you ready? Seriously, let's make some eye contact. You know what Christ has asked for? You. Now. Not future version of you. Not you that thinks you can trick him. Like you. now. Nah. And, and here, he actually wants to know what you want. He knows what you want, but he wants you to come with what you want. Before you're like, well, that could be selfish. Let me and this is where I think like the, the kind of modern evangelicals can get a little like brain dead. It's just madness to me They were like, well, you better not come. Like that's such a selfish. I mean, I was on the phone just a couple of days ago with a, a beautiful friend of mine who just got a nasty diagnosis and I'm having to tell her it's okay to ask God for healing because she thinks the only prayer she's allowed to pray is your will be done. Now I know the Lord's prayer. I know that one's in there. A lot of other texts put pressure on that text. How about James, where it says, go to the elders, ask them to pray. Like there are all these other texts, like, no, ask him to heal. Hold it with an open hand, but bring your desires, your wants. Gosh, Jesus is doing this in all, all the time. All four Gospels have at least one story where Jesus asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? And nobody answers, bring revival to Jerusalem. <laughs> nobody. Like here, okay, I can see some of you. On. Mm, all right, Fine. <laughs> This is Matthew 20, 30 through 32. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, any guesses what these two blind men might have asked for? Anybody want to guess? Somebody shouted out. Sight, I want to see. And Jesus didn't stoop down and go, you make me sick. (laughs) You know how many people are starving to death in Jerusalem right now? Do you know the train wreck that our sacrificial system is with these wicked Pharisees? I can't believe you're asking for sight you not trust me? Maybe what I have for you is blindness all the days of your life. No, he, he healed them and gave them sight. Now, let me tell you why this is huge. Look at me. Because you want what you want. You do. And if you try to pretty that up before you come, you have put the onus of sanctification on you and not on him. See, it's in the presence of God that my, defy, my desires are refined. Not me pretending that I don't have them. Goodness sakes. It's like hiding in the middle of the floor and asking somebody to find you. God knows what you want. Like, why don't you tell him? Like, this is an opportunity for intimacy. This is an opportunity for vulnerability before a living God. And, and for you to try to clean it up, actually, it's silly. He already knows. So, I mean, we, I talk about this because it's like a big part of my story. 14 years ago. Uh, I'm in my car on the way to the Highland Village campus to film a video for you because I just found out I had a brain tumor and I was going into surgery and I didn't know how I'd wake up. No, It was not looking good for me. It uh, wasn't looking good for my family. And I sat on that. Here's what I can tell you. Thousand percent confident that moment of my life story, I knew to die is gain. I knew it. I believed it. I knew that the present suffering of this world is not It's not worthy to be compared to future glory. I knew that according to Paul and the book and in my heart that to depart would be better. I knew it. And I still wanted to grow old with Lauren. And I still wanted to walk my girls down the aisle. And I still wanted to help my son become a man. And I still wanted to pastor this church. And I still want, I could just keep going. So like what kind of fool am I if I over spiritualize this thing, baptize it in what I think he wants to hear from me despite the fact that he already knows my heart and come to him and just go, whatever you want. Like he already gets whatever he wants, he's God. My role is to delight in how he reveals himself. But in the space between, I'm to ask. Here's what I want. And had he answered differently. That's right. Come on. And I was in glory Come on now. when that man started seeing my wife and going, oh, she a widow. And started trying to throw game. I would not be in heaven looking down going, will you send Michael down there to handle this? Or do I got to go? I got to go. You got, you got somebody. You got. No, I'd have, I'd have been caught up in glory. Whoever would have walked all down the aisle three weeks ago, you think I'd be looking down going, I can't, I, no bitterness. I mean, just ever increasing gladness in the presence of Jesus. I knew it all then. I swear by it now. And still the heart wanted. And so I brought that to him. He, he healed some of those wants. He gosh, I've even taken my, I don't want to want these things. I want and I know it's wrong. The book tells me I shouldn't want this. And so I just want to bring that. I want this. I know it change my wants. Shift my heart. Do a work in me. But if you baptize it and over-theologize it and over-spiritualize it and give to God what you think he wants to hear, you're missing out on one of the greatest joy-building realities in the world, which is coming as you actually are. Gosh, you know how often we're tying that to some sort of moral thing? And then instead of that, we actually try to uh, spiritualize ourselves in front of a God who already knows. Like, isn't the point of the cross that he knew what he was buying? Like mixed bags of motives. Hey, friend, I just want to tell you, you wait till you're pure hearted. You ain't ever doing anything. I'm just telling you, man. I'm 30 years in the game. You wait till you're pure hearted. You'll never do a thing you got to trust that his grace is sufficient and that in the pursuit, he'll purify. That's right. But that process speeds up if you actually say what you want. You lay your desires in front of him. Look at me. Even if they're gross. He's big enough for that. You think you're bigger than he is? He's big for that. He's ready for that. He knew what he was buying. So here's my gift. I'm going to give you another three minutes, this time, to tell the Lord what you want. So I'll put these two on the screen. The first will be fine. The second one you might go, ooh, but I'll, I'll double down. If God would spiritually do something in your life right now, what would you want it to be? Like, What, what, do you want, what would you want the Holy Spirit to do in your life right now? Let's ask him. And and then this one can be controversial, and it shouldn't be. It's silly that it is. It is because some fools have preached a prosperity gospel that's nonsense. And then because other fools have tried to avoid that, we haven't preached that actually God does want to bless you. So if God could physically or materially do something in your life right now, what would you want him to do? Well, that might be selfish. Yeah, it might. But if it's already there, why don't we get that out into the light? You can still receive the grace of God in your selfishness and over time he'll purify that desire and he'll tell you no if he thinks that will destroy you. He loves you too much to give you what you want but you should, let me, let me do this and I'm going to give you your minutes. You should ask God like a four-year-old asks for Christmas presents. I want a horse. I'd like a computer and an airplane. You should ask, you should just ask him. Like, I ain't getting my kid a horse, oh, dang it, I did get my kid a horse back in the day. Nah. Um, like, you, you should ask like that. Like, a five-year-old's not going, that's a selfish request. They're just like, oh my gosh, this would be incredible. So ask him. He, I'm not telling you he's going to say yes to you. Gosh, he loves you too much to say yes to you for everything. But would you come as you are today? Just come, and just go, this is what I want, do this in me. This is what I want, will you do this for me? Let me give you a couple of minutes here. Thank you. Father, we thank you that we can come as we are, and this is where we are. This is our hearts. We want this or we don't want to want this. We desire this or we don't want to desire this. This is this is us naked and unashamed before you, or maybe some of us today naked and ashamed, but Will you do the good work of gospeling us and healing us? And I thank you that we don't have to pretend before you. We can just bring right now. This is where we are in this moment, and you know it. And, and so we just want to come honestly for the sake of intimacy and the sake of joy in our own souls. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Okay, now I love these last couple of verses, and you hear me say this a lot, and I want to continually say it a lot. That the Bible is a grimy book and we need it to be because most of us are going to experience some significant, significant downturns in our life. And if the Bible is just kind of pixie dust and fairies, then it's not going to land on reality very well. And so the Bible does a very good job of getting really honest about how life actually works. And that's what happens next in our passage. So look there in verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, listen to this, bearing the seed, feeling the weight for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So so let me finish the remembrance and wants. You look at me. Puts present strife in perspective. So that we might have gratitude and gladness come what may you want to you want to kind of know how men and women you might know had, had gratitude and gladness even in some of the most horrific like I know our congregation I mean there there is all sorts of really painful things in this room right now. And a lot of people who are in it are still worshiping, and there's a gladness on their face. And it's not like silly spirit sprinkled cheering when the other team scores a touchdown because you don't know what part of your team's on the field. It's not that. It's rooted in this God knows. God has seen me through. God saved me. And it's really when I I want you to work in this way, and I'm bringing my whole self into your presence. This is what I desire for you to do, and now I'm going to hold it with loose hands. And here's here's, here's how joy continually expands. When there's remembrance and wants and desires laid in front of the feet of Jesus, we'll join our brother Job when he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. We'll join our brother David when he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we'll join our brother Paul when he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he's writing from prison, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, ever-increasing joy is the offer. The counter-offer is cynicism. The offer on the table is not a blind optimism, but an optimism rooted in future glory. That the words of our mouth, the expression on our face, even in the most difficult of times, is one of ever-increasing joy because we remember. We, we've been In dark seasons, he has brought us through. We are not withholding from the Lord, but we have come honestly as we are in his presence and we found ourselves to be welcomed there. And then future hope, based on remembrance and desires, pulls us through present strife with gratitude and gladness. The text isn't saying there won't be present strife. It's saying that remembrance and honest wants and desires before God pulls us through with gratitude and gladness. This is the offer on the table brought by the coming of Jesus to overcome and kill spiritual oppression, sin and death. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing the song King of Kings in response to the goodness and mercy of God as we remember as we come with wants and desires, being pulled through present strife with future hope. Our mouths and faces marked with growing gratitude and gladness. Not in some faux, fake, pretend way, but in an honest way. Maybe disoriented, but orienting around our risen Savior and King. Let me pray for us. Father, I bless these men and women. I thank you for... The work you've done on our behalf. We thank you for salvation, but more than that. Like I think about, oh, I thank you. Like seven years of really difficult marriage and you brought us to the other side of it. Some people in here, it's been longer than that. Like I'm, I'm here 14 years after being told I wouldn't. I, I get to talk about you, all this, it's just incredible. Amen. And thank you, I, I wish we could do an open mic. And these men and women can testify of how good you've been, how faithful you've been, what you've brought them through, how you've seen them through. It's just all over the room. I can see it in the tears in the room right now. I can see it in the hope being renewed in souls. You're so kind, so good. And so we thank you. And we sing this next song as a prayer. And we sing it in response to your faithfulness through the highs and lows of our life, through the good, healthy relationships and the ones that probably needed some boundaries set. you, You taught us, you've grown us, you've rescued us, you've delivered us. You're still at work in us. Your work's not finished in us and you are as committed to us today as you were the day you saved us and so we bless your name. Help us not forget. Help us not grow cynical. Keep our hearts soft, our spirits glad. We need you. It's for your beautiful name I pray, amen. Amen.